want you to imagine you're driving your car and it's a long, long ribbon road. And they see away, away in the distance there's a mountain. But from where you are, it just looks like a molehill. It doesn't really look very impressive at all. But as you drive closer and closer and near to that mountain, you get to the point where you, you cannot see the full grandeur of that mountain out of your windscreen. You have to stop and get out and lift up your head and look and see its full height. Now, suddenly you're impressed. Way back there, it didn't look much. But now that you're standing at the foot of the mountain, it really is impressive. And that's how we sometimes see God. If we're distant from him, he doesn't seem to be that impressive. If we're a long way from him, if we're afar from him, then he seems quite small and our problems loom very, very large. But whenever we get closer to him, then suddenly we see his full grandeur and his majesty. And we see that God truly is a big God. The only thing that makes the difference is how close we are to him or how far away we are for him. But once we get closer, then we see that God is huge in comparison to us and he's bigger than any problems that we ever face in life. The only thing that makes the difference, I say, is how close we are to him. And so God is like that. Whenever we get close to the Lord, then suddenly we realize he's bigger than what we're facing even today. And he is well able to take care of it. Now Asaph in Psalm 73 was a choir director in the temple. And Asaph went through a period of time, he was suffering in the vicissitudes of life, things was difficult and hard. And so for whatever reason he or whatever he was going through, then it seemed like God was distant, God was far away. And he began to complain because of the situation he found himself in. And here's some of the things he said in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And if we were to read on in that Psalm, we would find that as he began to think in his mind, Here's what he was thinking. He was thinking that the ungodly out there are better off than me who is trying my best to be godly and to do the right things and live the right way. But it seems to be that they're better off than I am. It seems to be that they don't have the hurts and the pains of life that I get. And so that was his thinking. And so you can see at that moment, there's a distance between him and God. His God at that moment seems very small, but that's not true. And in fact, if you look at Asaph's psalm and lots of the other psalms, you'll see that it starts off very negative and ends up positive. They start out complaining and end up with a confession of faith. And this is what was beginning to happen here uh, to Asaph. In fact, another part of that psalm is, Surely I've cleansed my heart in vain. I have washed my hands in innocent. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. Now this is a godly man. This is a servant of God. This is man who ministers in the sanctuary. But whatever happened to him, it made him feel that life was so unfair and God was so small and his problem was so big. And I wonder maybe perhaps if you may feel like that in your situation, whatever you're going through, do you feel that God is distant, that he's afar off? 
Do you feel like your problem is bigger that God couldn't handle it? Because sometimes that's what we feel. And, and whenever we feel that and God seems so distant, what we need to do is get closer to him. And as we get closer to him, then things begin to change. In fact, from verse 17 onwards in Psalm 73, you see the change is coming. In verse 17, verse 25, 26, I should say, here's what he said. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh feel, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And then I love what he says in verse 28. He says, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all your works. It is good for me to draw near to God. It is good for you. It is good for me to draw near to God. And the nearer we draw to him, then the bigger he becomes to us. The further we're away from him, the smaller he seems. But if we just draw that little bit closer, I guarantee you, God will become bigger in your thinking and in your heart. In this present crisis that our country is facing, this pandemic that's sweeping the nations of the world, it would be so easy, if we're not careful, to begin to feel helpless and maybe even hopeless. And sometimes in these situations, God begins to appear small in her thinking. But even though you may feel helpless, please never feel hopeless. Whenever we're with God, we are not without hope because God is our strength and God is our deliverer. So how big is our God today? Maybe the question really should be not how big is God, but how close are we to him? Because when we get closer, then we see him as he really is. Whenever Elijah was on Mount Carmel, whenever he was fighting those prophets of Baal, whenever he was calling fire down from heaven, then God was a big God to him. God was real and God was big and God was able. But whenever that wicked queen Jezebel, when she threatened his life and he went on the run and he ran all the way down to the very bottom of the country and went away into the wilderness, and he sat under a juniper tree. And he sat there asking God to take his life. At that moment, he was self-isolating. He was social distancing. But at that moment, he says, God, it's enough. I can't take any more of this. But God wasn't finished with him. God sent an angel. And God blessed him. And God gave him more to do. He had kings to anoint. He had prophets to appoint. So God was not finished with him. But at that moment, in the backside of the desert, he felt that God wasn't very big and he felt his problem was really big. But whenever God came to him through that angel, suddenly he saw that God was right there with him and would not fail him. In Acts chapter 27, whenever Paul was on aboard that prison ship going to appeal unto Caesar, everybody on board that ship, all 276 souls, all the crew, uh, all the prisoners, all of them, all of them felt their life was lost, that there was no hope. This storm that they had faced in this boat had lasted for over two weeks. They had thrown everything out of that boat to lighten the ship, to try to steady it. But it was about to sink. They were in real danger of their lives, and every one of them knew it. And I guarantee at that point, God wasn't very big in their thinking at all. 
All they could think was, we're going to sink into the sea and die. But the Apostle Paul, well, he was different. The Apostle Paul was one who prayed and fasted. And so he distanced himself for a little while. He went alone, prayed and fasted, and got an answer from God. And here's what he says in Acts 27, verses 21 to 25. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not to have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all who sail with you. And then for the second time, he says, Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Twice Paul said in the midst of that storm, when, when their lives is on the line, Twice Paul says, take heart. God has got this. You're going to be okay. We're going to make it. We're going to get through this storm. We're going to get to the other side. We're going to get to the shore. And they did, all of them. Now, they had some collateral damage. The ship was wrecked. The ship was smashed. And they got able to get to shore. Some on broken boards, some on pieces of the ship. But every single one of them made it to the other side. See, Paul's God was a big God. And he looked to God as a big God to deliver them in that situation. How big is our God today? He's the same God as he always was. He's as big and as good as he always was. So we can put our trust in him today. We can believe in him. Isaiah 40 verse 12, speaking about the bigness of God, says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, and the hills in a balance? Think about this for a moment. The great Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, all the oceans of the world, the seven seas, all the lakes, all the rivers, all the ponds, all of it together. As I have said, God can put all of those waters in the very palm of his hand. That's how small it is to a big God that we serve. Then it goes on to say he measures the heavens with a span. Now, we measure in miles and kilometers, but astronomers, they measure in light years. They measure the distance light travels in a year. Can you imagine that? Light is 186,000 plus miles a second. Every second, a beam of light can go around the world seven times every second. It only takes eight minutes to get from the sun, which is 93 million miles away. But whenever you go beyond that, then the distance has become vast. In fact, to the next star, it takes light traveling at 186,000 miles a second. For a whole year, is 6 trillion miles. And to the nearest star, is just over 4 light years. That's a massive distance. Do you know, in our fastest rocket ship that human beings has devised, it would take us nearly 100,000 years just to get to the next star. 
and yet there are galaxies out there in the distance uh, uh, that we can't even begin to imagine the, the length and the distance of these galaxies. And yet the Bible says that God measures the heavens simply with a span. God has got big hands and we are in the hands of a big God. And then in verse 15 of Isaiah 40, reading from the New Living Translation, it says, For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than the dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth as though it were a grain of sand. I remember when I was just a lad, my mother would send me around to the local grocery shop, Mr. Fleming, to buy some potatoes. And I remember well to this day, there was a big wooden bench. And on that bench was a large set of old-fashioned scales. And on one side, there was this big oval kind of bowl to put the produce in. And the other side was where the weights went on, the pounds and the ounces. And then they balanced up. But on those scales, because they had been lying on that bench for years, since ever I could ever remember they were there. And on those scales was a layer of dust. You could have wrote your name on it with your finger. But that dust made no difference whatsoever for those scales. None whatsoever. And God says the nations are like the dust on the balance. God could blow them away with his breath if he wanted. Now you may say, well, maybe the prophet here is speaking in uh, hyperbole. Maybe he's exaggerating. Well, maybe he is. But listen, this is the same God who spoke the word into existence, who just spoke the word and everything came into being. So I believe that his hands are big hands today, and we're in his big hands. A tiny microscopic virus, undetectable by the naked eye, has suddenly shattered man's invincibility, that feeling that we can handle everything in life, and with all our technical wizardry and with all our science expertise, and thank God for all of that, yet we are desperately trying to fight a foe that's no bigger than a single pinhead that has brought the world to a staggering, shuddering, almost grinding halt. As I speak to you, it is reckoned half the population of the world are on lockdown today. I mean, that's incredible. This is unknown in our history. So this world now more than ever needs a big God because our little gods of science and technology and human ingenuity, good as it is, has once again come up short. And this Western world that we live in has for decades say that we don't want God, that we don't need God. We don't want him in our schools. We don't want him in our science classes. We don't want him in our universities and our colleges. We don't want him in our government. We don't want him in our homes. We don't want him in our marriages. We don't want him in our children's lives. And we're told that we're not to pray for somebody in a hospital. If you work in a hospital, you cannot pray for somebody. Can't pray for a patient. We're told even emergency rooms, you cannot pray, you're not allowed. Well, I think during this emergency, I think there'll be a lot of people will be glad for prayer. I don't think they'll be refusing it. In fact, I think they'll be asking for prayer because we need the hand of a big God. When there's people dying by the hundreds and by the thousands, then we need to look up and see a big God. And we need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. We need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to come to him as our Savior and as our Lord. 
We need to say, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them and I come to you and I ask you to save my eternal soul. We need to be saved, friends. We really need the Lord in these days. If ever we need it, Christ, it's right now. Do not put it off. Do not put it off. Today is the day of salvation. Today, today you need to pray and ask Christ to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. And so the scriptures make it very clear that if we come to him, he'll not cast us away. If we are truly repentant and say, Lord, I turn my back and my life away from my lifestyle and my sins, and I come to you, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior, he'll not cast you away. He'll receive you as his son and as his daughter. I want to pray for you. I want to ask the Lord to touch you today. I want you to be blessed, but I want you to be saved. For those of you who are not saved or watching this, please open your Bible. Turn to the Lord and he'll save you. I promise he'll come into your life. It'll never be the same again. And should the worst happen in life, you'll be ready to meet him. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that you are truly a good, good father. And I thank you that since we have come to know your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior. I thank you that our lives have been changed forever. And so I pray for the church. I pray for those who are watching who are not saved today. I pray that they will give their lives completely into your hands. I pray that they will pray a prayer of repentance and that Jesus would be their Lord and Savior. Father, I thank you for the church. I thank you for what it's doing around the world. And I thank you that even in these difficult days and times that, that we can go into our homes and we can bring the message of Christ into every home that's watching. So Lord, bless your church. Bless the MPCers who are watching today. I thank you for every one of them. I thank you for all of them. And I pray that you'll keep them safe and protect them and bless them. Lord, for those who cannot leave, Lord, the home and self-isolating and feel lonely, Lord, I pray that that phone call will lift them. Lord, that that prayer will encourage them. For those, Lord, who are in a difficult position of job today, for those who have lost jobs, for those, Lord, who are not just worried about health situations but financial situations, I pray, O oh God, that you will give them comfort and strength. And, Lord, that you will be their supply, that you will find a way, Lord, to bless and help them in their home and in their health. In Jesus' name, and I give you thanks. Amen.